0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. You know, when it comes to population, China has been the world's leader for years. Until now, India is overtaking China as the most populous country. And in an effort to manage the population, young people in India are being urged to use contraception. But we're not talking about condoms or IUDs. We're talking about sterilisation and people are getting cash to go through with it. In a bit, you're going to hear what is happening in India with population. Later, actor Georgie Stone sent a powerful message to Australia in a speech on transgender rights. You're going to want to hear what she had to say. But first...
0: The Prime Minister has signed off on a TikTok ban for all government devices.
1: Talking about things like we collect facial and voice information to identify people. Not true. On Triple J... Okay, so no surprises here. We were expecting this for a little while. The government announcing it's banning TikTok on government devices over security concerns with the China-owned social media app. And senior politicians are now quitting the app. We're seeing that. They want to steer clear. And the states are also putting their own bans in place. So there are a lot of questions here. What is going on? What does it mean? Is it an overreaction or has Australia been too slow to act? We did ask both the Attorney General and TikTok to come on Hack Today. Neither was available. TikTok did send us a statement, though. They said they're extremely disappointed by the decision, which they say is driven by politics and not by fact. Let's get into it a bit more with someone who has been covering the story closely. Josh Taylor is with Guardian Australia. Hey, Josh, thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Look, what has been announced by the government today? What is this ban?
2: Yeah, so the, this ban applies to the devices that the federal government issues through the departments and things like that. So that covers basically almost all public servants, MPs, when they get they get government issued devices and things like that. So it is a quite a wide ranging ban, and it's all for all the federal government agencies. Um, so it will probably encompass thousands and thousands of devices that. Will mean that if they've got TikTok installed on their phone already, they'll have to delete it as soon as possible, and they won't be allowed to install it again, except in very, very limited circumstances. So it's, it's quite a wide-ranging ban.
1: Okay. So what is the concern here? Has the government been clear about what the threat is?
2: So late last year, the Home Affairs Department conducted a review into not just TikTok but security issues around social media platforms generally. And and out of that review, which we which has not been released to the public. They've decided to pursue this ban, and we we don't really know what concerns that they might have directly. But um, in in one of the documents that was released as part of this ban, it says that TikTok poses a significant security risk and privacy risk to government entities, arising from extensive collection of user data and exposure to extrajudicial directions from a foreign government. So that basically means that they're concerned that even though TikTok sort of says that this data is not held within China, because TikTok is a Chinese-owned app, there's the potential for this data to be accessed by the Chinese government. We're a bit late to this, aren't we? Because other countries
1: have been taking action for months now or even years. Like there've been um, you know, similar moves in the US, in the European Union, the UK, New Zealand, right?
2: Yeah, so it has been an ongoing issue in in a lot of Western countries, mainly for the the past few uh well past few months really. It's it's only sort of been in the last ten months that we're sort of seeing this ramp up where it's started to be banned from government devices. So we've seen it in the US, the UK, New Zealand, Canada. Europe as you mentioned and I think the US is now considering a national ban so that would go beyond government devices basically looking at anyone who wants to have TikTok on their phone in the US it might be banned which would be a huge thing for them to do because it's used by millions and millions of people particularly you know younger generations 14 to 25 I think there's studies that say around 73% of those people Uh, have used TikTok at some point. So it's widely popular. And if they were to go to that stage, it is quite a big move.
1: Yeah, I imagine most of the people listening now would be uh, probably regular users of TikTok. What's it going to mean for politicians who are using it all the time as well? Because there were some senior politicians like, you know, the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews had, I think, more than 100,000 followers on TikTok.
2: Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing to watch. So Daniel Andrews has already said today that he's going to stop using it. So that's a that's a bit of a blow for him, you know. It's one of those things where you, you've got to go where your audience is. And I think that, you know, they risk potentially missing a, a large demographic, a growing demographic of Gen Z uh, voters who, you know, that's where they go to get their news. We've seen Bill Shorten also say today that he will stop using the app. A couple of others have said that they'll keep it on their personal devices, but it'll be interesting to see whether if they get security briefings from, from the agencies that do this review, whether they change their tune on it. The other thing that that like, is probably worth mentioning in all of this discussion is that aside from the security risks that politicians have been quite concerned about the potential for manipulation, we already know that you know anyone who's used TikTok knows that it does develop a pretty good understanding of what you like and what you want to see on your feed. They're worried that if that algorithm can be manipulated in some way, that it can cause potential harm. And if it, it is something that the Chinese government has access to, that people could get, I don't know, I guess, propaganda or something in their feed. There's no sort of real proof that this might be a huge concern, but it's. I think it's one of the things that leading the charge on politicians banning it at the moment.
1: You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Guardian Australia reporter Josh Taylor about this news that the government's banning TikTok on government devices. It's come out and saying, yep, After weeks and weeks of speculation, we are doing this. It's not a ban for everyone in Australia. It's a ban on TikTok on government devices. Do we know, Josh, um, how it's going to be policed?
2: Well, I think it's one of those things that, you know, if you've ever had a work device, They've usually got a pretty good idea of what you've got on your phone because they usually have these these things that can um, determine what you can and can't install and things like that and what what you've got on your phone. So basically, anything that I mean, this is this is an uh, this is an issue with with corporate issued devices in in general anyway that they they have entire access to your device and and they know what you've installed on things. I think we'll probably see device management in that sort of respect to make sure that you you can't install this app. And if if you do try to install this app, then they're going to know about it, essentially.
1: I'm interested in what a few of the responses have been to this announcement from the government today. Like, for instance, what has TikTok had to say?
2: TikTok has said that this is largely motivated by politics and not fact. And they're saying that a lot of the security fears around TikTok are, are unfounded. And they've expressed concern that they've been trying to work with the government to allay these fears and, and sort of present. There's nothing to be concerned about TikTok, but they've not really had that that audience that they've been hoping to get. And and I, I, they were, I think they were quite frustrated today that the announcement of the ban, they weren't informed in advance. They were only told once it started leaked to the media.
1: Yeah, I did see someone from TikTok on TV this morning saying, we've been trying um, to meet you know with the government and discuss this. What about the opposition? What's the opposition had to say?
2: So the opposition has said that this is very, very late for them to be banning it, considering all the other governments in the world have had moved a bit faster than this, um, which which to me is a bit rich because they were only in government 10 months ago, <laughs> as though uh, they were doing much about it back then anyway. But their justification is that they're saying that all these these changes have happened in the last few months. So the pressure has been on since then. I think the interesting part is that they're flagging that the opposition will probably go a bit further and uh, potentially seek to look at maybe a further ban. So uh, James Patterson, was, who's the Liberal Senator who's been leading the charge on this, he was saying that uh, he would like to see all options on the table, including the potential for the, for the app to be banned in Australia. And he thinks that if you go down the path of potentially banning TikTok, TikTok might come to the table with some other options that might be more palatable. So we know that part of the reason why the United States is pushing for a potential ban is because it would mean that TikTok might consider divesting from its Chinese ownership and basically become an American company or something like that. And that would mean that the national security law in China would no longer apply to TikTok, which would alleviate a lot of the concerns that people have about the app. So that's probably one option that I think we're probably gonna see in the next couple of months being pushed. Josh, whenever we talk about this stuff,
1: like TikTok in particular, we hear from people saying, What about meta? What about <laughs> things like Twitter, Google, Amazon, all that? You know, are people raising those concerns as well that maybe this should be a bit more, you know, widespread, that it shouldn't be so specific to this app?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the huge concerns with any social media platform nowadays. You know, The, the amount of personal information that all these apps collect is quite frightening. And, and I think that there is scope for a wider review of what these apps are collecting and what they're using for them for and, and who has access to all this information and things like that. I think that that, that is a broader discussion. And I think that the more people are aware of what these apps collect is is good, but I think that the reason why the government has been so focused on this is that TikTok is one of, if not the most popular app in the world at the moment, and I think there's just that concern because it is a Chinese-owned app, and you know a lot of people view well, you know, it's an authoritarian state and has all these laws applied to it and things like that. You know, some of the controls are in place for other countries in terms of who can access what data and when, although you can make a lot of these arguments about the United States as well, mean that they're a bit more concerned about who is going to access it in what circumstances as well.
1: Well, It's an interesting story. It's developing all the time. I'm sure it's going to be in the headlines for weeks and weeks. Josh Taylor from Guardian Australia, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. And there are a lot of people asking questions on the text line about, you know, who this ban is going to be, um, about someone saying, is this for politicians and staffers or wider government jobs? Uh, It is for wider government jobs. There were some departments that had already... Uh, put bans in place. If you are affected though, you're going to be hearing about it very soon because the government's wanting to implement this pretty quickly. Another person says, if these are government-issued devices, why isn't there only an approved list of what's allowed rather than banning individual apps? Other people asking why are these government employees using TikTok on work devices at all? Someone else, I find it weird to be so concerned about the privacy or potential for algorithmic manipulation on TikTok that not Western-owned social media platforms, which is what we just touched on as well. Hack. Local and national officials in India are introducing some extraordinary measures to try and cut back on birth rates. On Triple J. Yeah, you might remember we talked about the world hitting a big population milestone late last year, 8 billion. Well, more than a third of those 8 billion live in just two countries, China and India. And China has been the most populous country since records began in the 1950s. The UN reckons India is going to take over this month, though. They reckon it'll be the most populous country in the world. And it's expected to stay that way for a while because India is filled with a lot of young people. Now, the Indian government is trying to manage this booming population. And a lot of young people in India are being encouraged to undergo sterilisation to stop them having kids, especially young women. So why such drastic action? Well, the ABC's South Asia correspondent, Avani Dias, has been covering this and she's with us now. Hey, Av, thanks so much for coming back on Hack. I just want to ask, sterilisation probably sounds really confronting for heaps of people listening. How popular is this in India?
3: Well, it's so interesting, right, Dave? Because in Australia, when we think about contraception, it's likely going to be things like condoms, the pill and IUDs. And that's sort of the most popular thing that people listening to would be familiar with. But here in India, people are getting sterilization surgery. So that's when you either get a vasectomy or you get a hysterectomy or your fallopian tubes tied. So these are sort of quite big surgical procedures that are going on here. But the interesting thing is the Indian government is actually pushing people to get these surgeries as opposed to using more temporary measures like condoms or the pill. So they're going even further than that. They're not just putting on campaigns or advertisements like we see in Australia, they're actually giving people cash to get these surgeries. And this dates back to decades ago, because India has known for a while that it's going to take over China as the biggest country in the world in terms of population. And this month, that milestone is finally going to be reached. But obviously there's been a lot of hysteria, a lot of fear about what it would mean to have 1.41 billion people in this country. And so that that's why the government is now pushing people to get these surgeries. But what we found, Dave, is that women are the ones that are getting more of these surgeries. And vasectomies are actually a lot less invasive. You can go home straight after the procedure. But for women, the the equivalent of that surgery is really quite difficult to get and involves going under general anaesthetic. So experts have been telling us There's no real need to be pushing these sterilisation surgeries and they're saying people should be educated more. And the big concern that we've found, we've spoken to a lot of women who've gone through these procedures, they're mostly from poor backgrounds because they want the cash.
1: Yeah, interesting. So there is kind of incentives that are being offered to people and you, uh, in reporting this, went around to speak to some women who've undergone these procedures, as you said, but also the women who as part of their job, go around to encourage people to do this, right?
3: Yeah, that was a crazy experience. So we went to this village, which is just a bit north of Delhi, where I am, the capital city. And these women are paid by the government. They're called Asha workers, which translates to hope in Hindi. And they go around in these villages, in regional areas, and they speak to families about family planning, about pregnancies, about their health and so on. But a big part of their job is encouraging people to get these surgeries. So they say, look, you can get about $20 if you get this surgery. But the other interesting aspect is these health workers also get a bit of a bonus. They get about $18 for every woman that they convince to get this surgery as well, a bit less if that woman already has three or more kids. And what researchers have said is that means that these health workers have this incentive to push people to get the surgery instead of doing things like handing out condoms or getting people to get on the pill or various other forms of contraception. So that's sort of sending red flags here. But the Indian government's defence is, Well, we want people to have less babies. If they have more babies and they're in a poor community, it's going to be really difficult with cost of living. Um, And we've heard through other forms of research as well that, If people do get an incentive, they regret getting this procedure less. So that's obviously a positive, but there are still concerns about the fact that it's women, especially poor women, that are copying the brunt of these procedures.
1: Right. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with the ABC's South Asia correspondent, Avani Dias, about India overtaking China as the most populous country, but also how young women in big numbers are undergoing sterilisation. Av. India has a history with this, right? Because men were forced to get sterilized at one point a few decades ago.
3: Yeah, Dave, I've been spending months researching this story and I didn't really expect to find out this sort of history. And in 1975, the Indian government introduced this widespread campaign where they Sterilized 6.2 million men. It's a huge number wow. in one year. And those people were mainly Muslim men who are from the minority religion here in India. And again, poor men. And a lot of them were dragged from their homes. We spoke to one man who said uh, his wife had already got this surgery. So he was saying, Why do I have to get it? But they forced him to do it. And this was such a huge controversy at the time. Then Prime Minister Indira Gandhi was voted out in very large part because of this sterilization policy. But what I also found out was that the US government, the UN, the World Bank, these really big organizations were actually pushing the Indian government to sterilize the population, to deal with these population issues and the boom that was happening. And so there was a lot of pressure on India at the time. But because of that history, that policy was obviously overturned in the late 70s after she was voted out. Uh, that's meant that Indian governments have been scared to target men in uh, contraceptive methods, and that's why they're targeting women now with these new sterilisation policies that we're seeing.
1: Uh, we were speaking last week about South Korea, which is in a very different situation, the lowest birth rate in the world, the government there trying to encourage young people to have children because they're saying they need to for the economy for all sorts of reasons... With the growing population in India, what's this going to mean in terms of its place as a superpower? Like, I imagine there's probably some benefits to an increased population as well.
3: It's so weird, right, Dave, because in countries like South Korea, in Japan, in China, what we're seeing is an ageing population. You know, China used to have this massive population. It still does, obviously, but it's um, being overtaken by India for the top spot. But that population is ageing. And that means that there are less people who are ready to work. And so China is really worried about what that will mean for its economy. It's in the top three economies. What that what will that mean for its role as a global superpower in the global stage. And so India has this really unique opportunity. About 40% of people in India are, are under 25. That's a huge proportion of people, about a fifth of the world's young people live in india wow just that statistic it's crazy so when you think about that that's so many young people like the people listening to hack right now who are ready to work who want to work who can learn who can get skilled up but the really worrying thing is and i've been speaking to young people here in india they're saying it's really hard to get jobs last year there were about uh 30 000 job jobs available in the railways here in india 10 million people applied. Imagine competing with 10 million people for a job. It's ridiculous, right? And it turned into protests. Young people got really angry. They set fire to trains. There were all these issues. So we see these things coming up. And so what India really needs to do is provide enough jobs for young people, make sure they're skilled up and educated to do that because otherwise they will be pushed further into poverty and that's the concern. But if they do skill them up, if they do get them into jobs, then India, the sky's the limit. It could become the next global superpower
1: fascinating stuff look from delhi we appreciate your time abc south asia correspondent and hack south asia correspondent come on avani Dias. thanks for jumping back on hack so nice to hear from you as always
3: thanks dave And
1: hey, uh, if you do want to learn more about this avani has done a big explainer on what is happening in india a lot of people messaging in with a lot of thoughts on this one you can read all about it. it's on the abc news website
0: hack been saving 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 every day is a struggle
4: on triple j
1: so everyone was waiting really nervously today to see if interest rates were going to go up obviously if you're someone who's got a mortgage mortgage you were praying it wouldn't happen maybe if you're a renter though you're praying it wouldn't happen because that's been the number one excuse for rents going up over the past year landlords saying hey interest rates are going up the reserve bank did decide not to raise interest rates today So there would be some people out there thinking, oh, I want to buy a place. I might have the means to do that. Should I do it now? And chances are, if you're a young person thinking about buying, you might be getting some help. There's this big gap that's opening up with young Aussies between those who can afford to buy something and those who can't. I'm interested if you're dealing with this, like if you're getting help from your parents and you're feeling guilty maybe because you know your mates don't have the same opportunity or it's the other way. Maybe you're annoyed seeing so many people get a leg up when that's not an option for you. Let me know, 043975755. Our NT reporter, Miles holbrook walks has been speaking to people around the country who were trying to figure all this out.
0: I'm very excited, uh, a little bit nervous, but mostly excited. Like, am I putting myself in a tricky situation for the future or am i setting myself up really well
5: i remember it was one afternoon Nikki and i came home from work i think it was rent day and we both looked at each other and said like we're over this like let's try and get our own place and pay our own rent pay our own mortgage." and be better for it. Meet Will and Nikki. They're in their early 20s and they're trying to crack the housing market and buy an apartment in Darwin where housing prices aren't as spenny as other capital cities, but it's not cheap either. Median unit prices are about $375,000. It's kind of, oh my God, are we actually doing this? (laughs) This is actually really intense. Almost like I feel like I'm too young to do it. Like I don't fully grasp it yet. They're hopeful they can save enough on their own to buy, but Will might have to turn to the bank of mum and dad. And Nikki's gonna be okay, she's a really good saver. There's a chance that, depending on when we buy, I might have to ask my parents for a little bit of money. So what Will and Nikki are doing is actually becoming more and more common. Think Tank, per capita, have commissioned research on the country's housing market, and it's found that 40% of people buying homes We're leaning on family.
1: You know, if your parents are poor, if they haven't um, ever bought a house, or if you're a new arrival from another country, then you're you're out of luck on that front.
5: Matt Lloyd-Cape is the director of the Centre for Equitable Housing. He says not everyone has the luxury of doing this.
1: So women were far less likely to report getting a gift or a loan from their parents by like a proportion of like 10% less. So there's a huge gender implication as to like how our
5: housing market's functioning and who it's working for someone who's not leaning on the bank of mum and dad is Christos in fact Christos has had to move back in with his parents in Sydney to help them pay their bills you know a lot of redundancies occurred so that was the unfortunate fate of my mum dad also fell a bit ill he could also no longer work like many young Aussies Christos can't ever imagine buying his own place even if he could pull together a deposit He's not sure he'd want to do it anyway. Many people at the moment, from what I hear, are struggling with their mortgage repayments, but. It's so ingrained in us now that buying a property is the best thing that you could do that people are always going beyond what they can actually afford. Christos isn't sure what his future holds, but he's even thought about leaving Australia one day just so he can afford a place of his own. It's becoming harder and harder here to rationalise the prices that are going on here and thinking that you're paying off a mortgage for the rest of your life. I've definitely considered moving onwards from Australia. I think it'd be, you know, in some ways easier.
1: Hack on Triple J. Miles Holbrook-Walk with that story. Yeah, a lot of messages on this one. Anastasia in Ngunnawal Country says, I'm getting help from my mum who is able to now access her super. I do feel extremely guilty all the time about it. I wish I didn't need it. But it means to her that I'm never going to be in the situation that she is and have somewhere to live that isn't renting. Another person says, I'm 24 and didn't get any help by my parents. But I kind of wish I did because it may be worth it due to the amount that I'm paying. Look, we're getting a lot of messages on this one. Obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about housing in the weeks ahead. We're hoping to get the housing minister on soon so we can ask about a few of these issues. So we'll be coming back to it. Don't worry.
0: Hack. Be brave. You have the power to make terrible moments like this a little less terrible.
1: On Triple J. Yeah, actor Georgie Stone gave a big address to the National Press Club today. She had a lot to say about trans rights, especially on the back of a very tough few weeks for the trans community. It was a really powerful speech. Here are some of the big moments. Hack.
0: My name is Georgie Stone. I am 22 years old. I'm from Melbourne and I am a proud transgender woman. Usually in speeches like these, I try to put on, on a brave face. Um, but the truth is I'm genuinely fearful for my safety. I'm tired of feeling targeted. I am tired of going to sleep at night, worried about what hateful, horrible messages I will wake up to. The most nonsensical message in the public sphere right now is that we're being taught to believe that we live in a world where drag queens are dangerous, but Nazis should be protected for their right to free speech. And I am exhausted. I am so tired. We can't keep fighting by ourselves. This weight that we're carrying is crushing and relentless. We need our allies to shoulder some of the burden because you can't celebrate with us at world pride and then scatter when the attacks come. If you want the pride and the glitter and the confetti, you also have to stand with us when it's uncomfortable and scary too. I am here today standing in defiance of those who wish for the complete eradication of trans people. We are not going anywhere.
1: On Triple J. <laughs> yeah, powerful stuff from Georgie Stone at the National Press Club. Our Canberra reporter Shalala Madora was in the room. She was at the press club. Hey, Shalala, this was a pretty historic address, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it was. Georgie was the youngest ever person at 22 to address the National Press Club, to have this massive national platform. She was also the only second ever trans person to have that platform. And you may need to fact check me on this day, but I'm pretty sure she's the first person on Neighbours who's ever had this (laughs) national (laughs) platform.
1: Probably, actually. We will fact check that one, actually. (laughs) So what was the address about, Shalala.
4: It was really powerful and it was speaking very much to the trans community directly. It was highlighting some of the discrimination that trans people still face in Australia. Things like really soaring, terrible rates of of mental health, really high rates of sexual assault um, as victims of sexual assault too. She also spoke about these really traumatic and turbulent last few weeks when we saw a travelling anti-trans activist visiting and giving these really big speeches that were in some parts of the country, attended by neo-Nazis. So she was also saying, she was giving us an insight into what it was like to be a member of the trans community, but she was also very much speaking to allies and calling allies to act and saying, look, it's not good enough that we have to take all of this on ourselves. And she, talk, she talked about how isolating it was when people would congratulate her on socials and, and speak about, you know, how great it was to know her during Mardi Gras and things like that, but then be completely, silent when she was trolled relentlessly.
1: And what are some of the things that Georgie wants governments to do?
4: Absolutely. She had three major points. So our audience might know Georgie is this awesome actor on Neighbours, but she actually came to prominence in the public eye in all the way back in 2017 when she won a challenge against the family court for forcing young kids to get the court to sign off on gender-affirming health care. She won that case. So she was really big on that real aspect of health care, on protecting as, um, access for young trans kids to gender-affirming care. And she mentioned that the courts still do actually intervene in some cases. She also wants the government to strengthen laws against hate speech and anti-discrimination, and she says they're lacking right now. And finally, she wants more funding for family of trans kids. She highlighted that she's got heaps of support around. She's got a really supportive family, but it can be really challenging if the families themselves
1: don't have any support. Hey, it was really powerful stuff. Thank you so much for staying across at Shalala Medora in Canberra. Appreciate you taking the time to explain that all to us. Thanks so much, Dave. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple J.